0: Good morning. How are we all today? Some of us are good? <laughs> good. If you're a guest here, it's great to have you here. Welcome. We're delighted you're here with us. My name is Saroosh. As Simon has already said, we'd love to have you. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we're studying through the Gospel of Mark. And... Um, And today we're in chapter 7. Well, Gavin fantastically started on this chapter last week. Wasn't it great? It was just brilliant. Uh, And now I'll be finishing off chapter 7. It's amazing what you learn when you preach, especially when you prepare to preach and also afterwards. Wives are great gifts from God, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Some people agree. But... (laughs) Uh, what I learned uh, from my last preach was that my mobile phone does have a countdown clock. My lovely wife reminded me that I can use it when I preach, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, I also heard that somebody else said that it was great because I had two cups of coffee, so it's good, brilliant. Um, Before uh, we start uh, with this passage, uh, I think it'd be great to pray together. Let's just pray for a few minutes. Yeah, Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that your word is alive. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. I thank you that you have given us this amazing gift, Lord. Lord, I pray that you speak to us today through your word. And I pray that you keep leading us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you go before us, and I pray that you lead us in all that we do. Amen. Right, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37. I'll read it, the words will also be projected on the screen. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered the house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. One of the hardest passages, I think. <laughs> but eh, as Raj has said uh, a few times uh, in his past, uh, in his preaches a few weeks ago, he said that Jesus never wastes a word. So whatever we have here is the truth complete truth. And we're going to read it and find out why Jesus said these things and why he acted this way. We'll be studying it verse by verse. And it's usually at this point of the preach when you hear the number of points. Uh, If you've heard me before, (laughs) there's only one point. (laughs) Jesus Christ is the Lord. But then for those who who like points, then I've got a few in here. In this passage, we'll find out that God loves the nations. He has compassion on his people, and also God has given us heritage. He has given us inheritance. And as Roy said in his contribution this morning, it's all about God. It's God who loves his people. It's God who loves the nations. It's God who has compassion. And it's God who has given us the heritage. As ever, it's important to read the Bible within the context. It's important to have a bit of background, a bit of context when we read it. The context in here is Jesus has just fed 5,000 people and now he's moved to a region where there aren't many Jews. He meets this Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, a non-Jew, and then later on he'll be feeding 4,000 people. So from Jews he moves on Gentiles, The Syrophoenician woman was a Gentile, and then the 4,000 people are believed to be Gentiles, which means non-Jews. But where are these uh, these areas? Tyre, Sidon, Syrophoenicia. Um, They're in the north of Palestine, uh, in the northern area. Uh, Today's day, Lebanon. Lebanese food is lovely, by the way. Tyre and Sidon are cities within Syrophoenicia, Um, They've also been named in the Old Testament. And because of the history between the two nations, between the people, uh, relationships aren't very good. So the relationship between Jews and people from Syrophoenicia, Tyre and Sidon is not very good. But isn't Jesus great? He walks into areas he's not supposed to. He goes and talks to people that nobody else wants to talk to. He goes and talks to people and eats with people that nobody else would even care to ask how they are. It's just typical of him. He breaks boundaries. He breaks the social hierarchy. And I love it. How much of that do we do in our everyday life? Or do we just try to stick to our social class? Do we just try to stick to where we are? Comfort zone? It's hard to be like Jesus. It's hard to leave that comfort zone. It's hard to break boundaries. Sometimes boundaries that our culture has created for us. Sometimes boundaries that society has put in place for us. But Jesus broke them. What does Jesus do when he goes to Tyre and Sidon? The first thing he does is he enters a house. Whose house was it? We don't know. Does it really matter? No. The important thing is that he was welcomed into the house because otherwise they would just say... No, you're not welcomed here. He was welcomed into the house. And as we read in Hebrews, we are recommended to show hospitality. We are recommended to show hospitality to people. And the writer says, because unknowingly some people have shown hospitality to angels. And now this house has welcomed Jesus into the house and they are showing hospitality to God himself. That is amazing. They probably don't know Jesus, they probably have heard about him, but they don't know him, they haven't seen him probably before. But they are showing hospitality to him, they've probably fed him, and he wants to have some time on his own. But will he get it? No way, because once somebody finds out Jesus is there, he will go and tell the whole village. And he wants to keep quiet, but he can't, because there are people already there. I can imagine his disciples getting a bit worried, because they were with him. That's how they lived. Disciples of Jesus were with him. They were learning. They were seeing what Jesus was doing. They were learning from him. And I can imagine them trying to remind him, look, these are the nations we're not supposed to go into. These are the people that you shouldn't really go and talk to. Uh, they were trying probably to remind him of some Old Testament verses, uh, what Jesus knows best, and, uh, And then, as they think it can't get any worse, what happens? A woman comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. And it's not just a woman. She's a Gentile. She's not even Jewish by birth. So she comes down and falls at Jesus' feet. This is what we should all do. When we encounter Jesus, fall down at his feet. Worship him because he is the only one who is worthy of our praise and worship. Now, this is what this woman does. Jesus' disciples see their teacher standing there with a woman falling at his feet. What does she want? She's there because she has needs. She needs Jesus, just like all of us. We all need Jesus. But she needs Jesus because she has a sick daughter. Her daughter is unwell. Do you see a similarity here between Jesus and Elijah in 1 Kings? We don't know whether this lady mm, was a widow. She probably is, because otherwise her husband would come and ask Jesus to do this. Uh, And the woman in one kings was a widow. So there are lots of similarities here. We're not going to get into all that at the moment. But this woman is there because she's faced an impossible situation. She's probably tried everything. She's probably tried every door. She's gone to religious leaders to come and pray for her daughter, to come and do something to heal her because she has, as the gospel says, unclean spirit. she has demons. She's probably tried all that she could have done. She's probably heard about Jesus at this point. She's heard about all the amazing stuff that he has done. And now he's here, he's in the area. So what does she do? Go and beg him. Go and do all that she can so that she can bring Jesus to heal her daughter. This is what caused this lady to go to Jesus and need. An impossible situation, a wall that was before her and she had no chance of breaking it down. We can be the same in our lives. We might have impossible situations. Some of you might think, well I'm in one already anyway. Some of you might think, well life is so difficult, I've tried every single door. What do we do when we face an impossible situation? What do we do when we are in a situation similar to this lady from Syrophoenicia? Do we try every door? Do we go to friends and family? Don't hear me wrong, these are good things to go to friends and family that you trust. But, do we go to Jesus first? The difference that we have with this lady is that she didn't have access to Jesus at that time, whereas we do. We have direct access to Jesus. Now. Do we do this or do we go and try every single door and when we're hopeless, when we've got nowhere else to turn, we go to Jesus? If that's what we do, it should be the other way around. We have to go to Him. He is the God and there's nothing that's impossible for Him. Do you take Jesus into account in impossible situations? Turn to Jesus in everything. Because he has the power to turn things around. He has the power to calm the sea. He has the power to heal the sick. He has the power to restore the broken. He has the power to bring reconciliation between us and the Father. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the perfect Lamb of God. He is the one who gave his life for us, for you and I. So turn to him in everything. Do you believe we are a church of word and spirit? So read the word, live it, and be led by the spirit. Because the word itself says it's sweet as honey. So read it, get stuck into it, and be led by the spirit. The two go hand in hand. And we are a church of word and spirit, so we stick to the word and we are led by the spirit. And we want him to guide us in everything. So what, what does Jesus do in reaction to that? When this helpless lady comes to him, it's a bit controversial here, what, she, what Jesus says to her is that let children be fed first, and it's not right to give the food that you would normally give to children to the dogs. Now, if he'd said it in 21st century Britain, he would have been done for racism and all sorts. But he's making a point here. He's probably quoting a famous uh, parable, Jesus is probably quoting something that was used in that time, but is this lady able or is she willing to accept that lowly position? Is she willing to humble herself before Jesus? There's a clear distinction between children and dogs, especially in that culture. We're reading it now in 21st century Britain where almost every household has a dog and dogs are part of the family and they're loved as pets. Um, You see them having different accessories and they're treated just like children. But if you go back and read this in context, dogs are considered unclean animals and still are in those parts of the world. So they're not welcomed into the house because... They're not part of the household. They're usually kept outside. they usually no contact with them because then you'd be religiously unclean. And what Jesus is saying here, this, this, this woman understands it perfectly well. She knows her position. Does God show favoritism? Is Jesus saying, well, I'm here for Jews and I'm not here for you, so they're my children and you mm, like a dog. Does God show favoritism? A question? The answer is a big, loud no. Look around. People from many different nations. Without Jesus, it would have been impossible for us to get together like this. Without Him, it's impossible for us to be united together, worshiping Him. Without Him, it's impossible for us to live in unity like this and worship Him in unity. God does not show favoritism. It- in fact, in Matthew, uh, we read that Jesus gives a commandment to his disciples, known as the Great Commandment, and he tells them, go into the world and make disciples. So it's not just people from your area, it's not just people from your ethnic groups. The message is for the whole world. In Acts, uh, after Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension, he tells his disciple, wait here, I'm going to give you a gift. And when you receive it, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And his disciples went, yeah, fine, Jews. In Judea, still okay. Samaria, oh, wait, you're going outside the circle. And to the ends of the world. So Jesus is making it clear. His message is for the people from every tribe and nation and language. What's fascinating here, the answer that this lady gives to Jesus the way that she responds, she takes the position. She says, I agree, Jesus, whatever you say is right because you are God, because you're the Messiah. You know best. So if you say this, fine, I want the healing and I will receive it, but you've got to heal my daughter. So she says, even dogs eat the crumbs. So that means she, she has shown humility. She was humble before Jesus. She's not arrogant, she says, Okay, I'm still at your feet, you're still God, whatever you say, heal my daughter. And Jesus is fascinated by what he hears. Not many people from Judea, from Jerusalem, or not many people with a Jewish background had said to Jesus the same thing, or similar thing as this Syrophoenician woman said. And Jesus says, because of what you said, go, what you wanted has been done because you have expressed faith faith is what matters it's it's not what we do, of course it's important, but it's our faith and faith produces the work in us so you've got to have faith without faith it's impossible to please God, so it's the faith of this woman that results in healing for her daughter So have faith. If your family are not in Christ yet, have faith. Lift them up before Jesus. We've heard lots and lots of amazing stories about somebody coming to Christ in a family and then praying for their families and many years along the line, the whole family came. We heard an amazing testimony from Janice a couple of weeks ago She was saying, oh, well, when my son said, well, I've become a Christian, I said, well, you're a good person. Why do you need Jesus? And then she came to know Jesus herself. So that's amazing. If your family don't know Christ, if your friends don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, pray for them. Lift them up before God. Have faith. Fall down at Jesus' feet for their salvation. Jesus gave up his life. For you and I and for the ones that we know. Now then, this isn't the end, though. Jesus remains in the same area. He moves from to a different town. And this time, people bring him a man who is deaf and has speech impediment. Now, what Jesus does is interesting. Uh, he could simply just lay hands on him, or he could just say, Don, you're healed, go as he has done, he's just spoken the word, or he could just heal heal them by laying hands. What he does is a bit different. You might think a bit awkward, but Jesus knows best, as always. So what he does is a bit different. He wants to send a powerful message by doing this. He takes the man to one side, privately. He puts his finger into the man's ear. He wants the man to hear first before he can speak. We've got to be quick to listen. Listen to the word of God. Jesus heals this man, but he starts from his ears. Let us be quick to listen. And then what he does is, he speaks and touches his tongue. You might think, oh, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) But this guy was more than prepared. He wanted to receive healing. Now... In Jewish contemporary culture in that time, this sort of action was a bit... Well, uh, it had meanings in it. So it was meaningful. All, uh, of course, spitting in that culture is very rude. Uh, it's like... A, if you've heard a boss in the past sh- saying, shame on you, this is exactly what it meant. Not what Jesus did, but spitting on someone is, shame on you. So it's... It's really rude. But what Jesus does is different. It was perfectly fine for people, for men to have uh, several wives at that time. Um, We can uh, see that uh, even biblical figures, Abraham. We can see Jacob. Uh, And it was perfectly fine in in that time for people to have more than one wife. Um, Now, I don't know how they could cope with one. (laughs) Never mind having more. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Simon is warning me, but anyway, I'm Iranian. I can get away with it. But,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 but what happened was the firstborn son uh, had authority because he would be the next one in lineage. He would be the one receiving all the authority and receiving the inheritance. He would be the one who would be leading the whole family once the father was gone. Now, when they had more than one wife, obviously they would have several children and it was something not very unusual for two sons to come up and say, no, I'm the firstborn son. And for the other one to say, no, it was me, I was born before you. So in that contemporary culture, what they used uh, to do was they would, they would believe that the spit of the firstborn son had healing property. Now. This isn't in the Bible, but it was the culture at the time. So it's not something biblical, don't go and try it. But what Jesus does here is sending a powerful message. Now, they've made it perfectly clear that Joseph is not Jesus' father. Okay? And Mary has insisted that she is not married before before she married Joseph. So, who is Jesus' father? Who is his father? Now, there are lots of people around him. You can see, you can read that people follow him everywhere. But what happens is, some of them come and say, well, we don't even know who this guy is. We don't even know who his father is. So, his words, mm, they sound okay, sometimes unusual. But how do we follow him if, if we don't even know who his father is? Now, Jesus is saying, This is my Father. Because I'm going to do this to express who my Father is. And he brings healing on that man. And people are astonished. They say, Who is this guy? He even makes the deaf to hear. Even the mute person speaks when he touches them. So he's sending a powerful message saying, I am the Son and he is my Father. The one who heals is my Father. Now it's only God who heals. We read in Isaiah 50, yeah, 35 sorry, that Isaiah had prophesied that, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Isn't that amazing? What was prophesied in many, many years before Jesus' birth is taking place. He is the firstborn. He is the one. Now, what's interesting is that this man couldn't have come to Jesus himself. The, uh, the gospel says that they brought him. So his friends brought this man to Jesus and asked Jesus to lay his hands on him. Now, we can do the same, take our friends, take our family before Jesus. We know that he is above all, our friends and family might not. So let's take them to Jesus, let's take them there and say, Jesus, will you lay your hands on them? Will you just touch them and bring freedom to them? Will you make them hear your word? Will you make them speak your good news to the world? And I love it when people do that. We've we've got several examples uh, in the uh, the New Testament of people bringing their friends to Jesus. (laughs) The most extraordinary is the one that is brought down through the roof. And it's just amazing the extent that people go through to bring their friends to Jesus. Are you willing to go through that? Are you standing here receiving that good news, receiving that freedom for yourself? Or are you going to take it to your friends and family? It'd be selfish to keep it to yourself. Jesus tells them not to go and tell anyone. Why is that? I mean, how could Jesus expect them not to go and tell anyone? This man has never been able to speak properly. He's never been able to hear a word. And now he's healed, and Jesus tells them not to go and tell anyone. Particularly in those times, somebody finds something, and he goes and shouts, and the whole village comes and enjoys it in fellowship and community. Because Jesus knows their heart. He knows that they will focus on the healing rather than on the healer. He knows where their heart is. He knows that... They are after signs and wonders and miracles and not God of miracles, not the God who performs miracles. Let us be the same, not as those people, the way that Jesus wants us to be. Let us focus on God and God alone. Of course, signs and wonders are great. I'm all up for healing, but healing is great when it points to Jesus. It's all about His glory, because He's the one doing it. It's not about me and you. We don't have the power to do it. It's all about Him. It's all for His glory. So if you see, if you pray for somebody to be healed in Jesus' name, give all the glory to the one who's healed. Of course, we need to step out in faith. We need to do our part. We need to take our part. We need to show courage. We need to lay hands We need to show faith. We need to express it to the world. But it's Him who will do it. It's all because of Him. And it's all for His glory. And this is what we want to do today. We will pray for the sick. We believe in healing. Jesus didn't come to heal people 2,000 years ago and then leave us all alone. No, He has given us gifts. And He heals today. If somebody tells you not, tell them to go and read the Bible. Because He does heal today. I have seen it myself, in my personal life. And I have seen Jesus healing people, healing the sick, many times. And I've had many testimonies about how God has come and broken down. How God has come and bro- has brought healing. And I know... That was just a small taste. When healing comes, it's the kingdom of God that comes. We want to pray for the kingdom of God to come. We want to pray for the kingdom of God to come and bring healing. We want the kingdom of God to come and bring restoration, to come and bring freedom. And we not only want it for one or two people, we want it for Teesside. We want to see people being healed in the streets of Teesside. We're not here just to get together on a Sunday, worshipping God. Of course, this is great, but there are more behind it. We're here to show the love of God to our neighbours. We are here to be His witnesses in Teesside, and then in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and the ends of the world. So if you're all up for it, let's do it. Let's have faith, and the faith that produces work in us. I'm not going to carry on any longer. You'll be glad to hear. Because we're going to have lots and lots of time for prayer and ministry. Because if you want to be healed, if you have whether physical or spiritual needs for healing, we want you to come and be prayed for. If you have friends who are here and perhaps need a bit of encouragement, bring them before Jesus. And if your friends or family aren't here, still bring them and lift them up to Jesus. Because He is the one who is all-powerful. He turns the situations around. So if you'd like to be prayed for for healing, I'm going to ask you to come out in a few minutes. But before that, if I could ask the band to come up. If I could ask the ministry team to be ready as well, please. So as I said at the beginning, it's God who loves the nations and it's God who shows compassion and has compassion on people. So if you'd like to receive healing from this God, all loving, all gracious, I'm going to ask you to come forward. And if you have friends with you, please encourage them and bring them forward. And if you have friends and families who don't know Jesus or perhaps know Jesus but need to receive healing, please come forward and we can lift them up to Jesus. Should we all stand up together? As we continue our worship with singing, please come forward.